You already know what time it is. Welcome back into the NFL with AJL. Episode 56, we are live on a Friday. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here tapped in with me on the show. Episode 56, going to be a little bit of a mini show tonight. I know I missed Tuesday's show, had a little bit of a hectic schedule this week, and I want to make sure we can all get out of here and go watch the Pac-12 championship as Oregon will face off against Washington tonight at 8 o'clock. I've got Oregon, I've got Bo Nix in the rubber match, and uh, not a packed show tonight, but definitely a good one. We're going to talk about the Eagles' huge win over the Bills. Frank Reich was fired. Uh, the Saints are an absolute joke, as we all knew, though, and then picking every NFL Week 13 game. It is officially December. Came out of another great month of the podcast in November. Hope y'all had an awesome Thanksgiving as well. It's Christmas. is literally three and a half weeks away, and I'm, I'm finally getting on my shopping early this year. We hit 700 subs on YouTube as well. Y'all go ahead and continue to smash the subscribe button there. Like the stream. Share the stream wherever you're at. Hit the bell on YouTube. You'll never miss a post. And as always, the QR code will give you every bit of social media and podcast content of the NFL with AJL at the NFL with AJL hashtag the NFL with AJL if you can't find me you're simply not looking hard enough and I'm starting this mini episode 56 right off the top with my New Orleans Saints as I was there with the crew on Sunday like I told everybody and all the Falcons fans that were in the stadium all the Falcons fans that were with me I know they had a hell of a time at the game the Saints lose 24 to 15 to the Atlanta Falcons behind five field goals from Blake Groupie and no touchdowns from the offense. <clears throat> a pick six from Derek Carr. And let's get into this football game because it was not a fun one to watch as a Saints fan, if I'm being totally honest. There was some glimpses in this game where Chris Olave was going. He was seven for 114 before he left the game. Tyron Matthew with two interceptions. We're going to get into this into, into some of the details of the game. But want to start with a little of a action that happened after the game with the Alvin Kamara postgame pressure and then a couple of players that were actually signed off of our practice squad. And we really needed these guys after these injuries in the Falcons game. Jason Pierre-Paul, we know how the Saints brought him in. I said he might have provided some value, but not a whole lot more than anything. Veteran presence. Maybe he'll give you three or four you know, clutch sacks this year. He gets signed off the practice squad. We just see Cameron Jordan go down with the injury in the Falcons game. <clears throat> Don't know the extent of that yet. I think he's going to be okay. But the Saints don't rest the pa rush the passer well. And it felt good getting Jason Pierre-Paul actually in with the New Orleans Saints. This also happened with Jalen Smith, a guy who has been an all-pro linebacker, a Pro Bowl linebacker, who was a tackling machine in the NFL. Why are the Saints not utilizing these guys? Why are these guys sitting on the practice squad? And I understand, you know, as a podcaster, as a fan, as you know, some of the media out there, we don't necessarily understand what's going on with a Jason Pierre Paul on the practice squad and with a Jalen Smith. Obviously, the scouts are seeing something maybe we're not. But then when you also look at the dynamic of the New Orleans Saints and how bad the defense has been over the last four, five, six games, there's got to be some changes. And you're starting to think that are the Saints really running this thing more like a family than it is a business because we need to see things change nonetheless. The Saints are not playing good defense the last month and letting two guys like this slip away. I know they weren't going to change the defense completely, but having them signed off the practice squad and not even seeing a snap of JPP or even Jalen Smith. Why do we do this type of stuff? We need people due to injuries, not being able to rush the passer as well. And it's, you know, we even look at the signing of Jimmy Graham. Like, why the hell do we even sign Jimmy Graham if he's a healthy scratch, if he's constantly inactive? He catches one touchdown pass and we never see him again. It's just moved like this from the Saints that, Really start to get under my skin. But now into the Falcons game itself. So we hear Alvin Kamara in the postgame presser throwing shade at coaching. 
one of your best players, it's it's starting to get more internal with the New Orleans Saints. I've talked about it with, you know, Michael Thomas getting arrested. I know that's not necessarily a, I mean, it is a situation that affects the team, but when you have that outside noise coming in, whether it's, you know, instances like that or Alvin Camaro calling out the coaching or it's clear that the play calling isn't working on the field, there's levels to dysfunction in a franchise as it shows up. And I believe this is another one of them. Alvin Kamara saying that the players aren't lost amongst each other in the locker room, but sent something along the lines of the coaching might be lost in the locker room. And I want AK to be a saint for life. I want AK to be able to make the hall of fame. And I don't like the way that he's really been treated these last couple of years with the new Orleans saints after the Drew Brees and the Sean Payton area era. It's very disheartening to see. And unfortunately I feel like someone could come in and sign number 41. And I don't want number 41 to get signed to another team. I bought AK's jersey for a reason over Michael Thomas. It's note to be taken when one of your best players in Alvin Kamara, who is actually performing very well this year. Look at his touchdowns. Look at his scrimmage yards. He's speaking out about how this team is performing horribly because Alvin Kamara is not a loser. Alvin Kamara does not like to lose football games at all. And when you see him talking about this type of stuff, it's going to going to make you definitely take notice. Who dat? What's up, brother? Darby, clean house. You already, you already know, man. Uh, we say that every week here on the show when we come to talking about the Saints. But just another, you know, boneheaded offensive scheme. You look at the Saints not running a whole lot of play action in this game, let alone let alone on the year they ran the league's least 45 play action plays. And Derek Carr, on this specific type of play, Derek Carr is deadly. Derek Carr has one of the best completion percentages in the NFL when he runs play action. Is this not a Dennis Allen buddy-buddy system built here? I understand it's Pete Carmichael calling the plays and everything. But if you're going to tell your boy, do what he wants, put something in place for your boy. I know DA's not the play caller. I know he's a defensive mind. But you know Derek Carr from the Raiders days. Let's have some common sense and actually build a system around him for him to be able to be successful. I'm not just talking about players. I'm talking about play calls. And everybody in the NFL knows that Pete Carmichael is one of the worst, if not the worst, offensive coordinator in the National Football League. But check Derek Carr's numbers. Very high completion percentage on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on play action. Dennis Allen is now 20 and 44 as a head coach. He has a worse head coach winning percentage than Saints fans. Are you ready for this? Adam Gase, Cliff Kingsbury, Josh McDaniels, and Doug Marone with a 32% win percentage. Dennis Allen's horrible tenure with the New Orleans Saints continues to grow. And I hate to see some of the posts out on Twitter like, something's telling me the Saints aren't going to let go of Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael next year. I don't know how you don't. Is, is this an instance of we're just looking to make money from the tickets and the apparel and not put a good product on the field, and we're just all buddy-buddy in arms because we're all making our money and we're familiar with each other? Or are we going to face the music and blow it up? and get rid of Dennis Allen, and go chase an Eric Bieniemy that we had in the building, go chase a Ben Johnson, go chase a Frank Smith, go get some sort of offensive-minded head coach because the Saints fans are losing fans with the fan base right now. And we're going to have fair-weather fans with every football team. But the Saints are now in a point where the fan base is going to slowly start to dwindle off, as if it hadn't already happened when Drew Brees and Sean Payton left. Dennis Allen is not doing anything to, th to set this team up for success. And yes, I said anything because even his defense over the past month has been horrible. And you look at Dennis Allen in the postgame presser trying to blame the red zone struggles on penalties. 
the Saints had six of their eight drives inside the Falcons' 35-yard line. The Saints had six of their eight drives end inside the Falcons' 35-yard line. No touchdowns. They were over five inside the 20 in the red zone. And besides the first and the last drive of the game, or second to last drive of the game, I'm mistaken, all of their drives finished in Atlanta territory. And like I said, I'll take it even further, inside the Atlanta 35. Derek Carr with another empty yards game, 300-plus yards, no touchdowns, one interceptions. One interception. The Saints are now 2-3 and three this year in games where Derek Carr throws for over 300 yards. I'm 0-3 in my last three games that I've went and watched the Saints play in. They lost to the Bengals last October when Darby and I went. They lost to the Jaguars on Thursday Night Football when we went again. And they have lost to the Atlanta Falcons in this embarrassing no-touchdown performance. Thankfully, though, I'm 500 in my lifetime and all my games attended. I'm now 3-3 three and three as a fan attending games. Derek Carr throws another pick six, only his second one of the year. It has been so heartbreaking to watch Derek Carr throw both of his pick sixes live. I've been in the stands in New Orleans, and now out of all places for him to not do it, I was in the stands in Atlanta, and I'm going to just say, Jesse Bates ran the longest 92 yards of my life, and I watched every Falcons fan erupt with jubilation. Jesse Bates made a hell of a play. Now, it wasn't a difficult play for him to make. He watched Derek Carr's eyes the whole time. Derek Carr stared down his target the whole time. It was going to be a tight slant that maybe would have been complete on the inside. I don't believe it would have because Carr was off all day. Jesse Bates literally read his eyes, jumped it, and he was like, I'm gone. 92 yards of the house. Jesse Bates made a hell of a play. Shout out to Jesse Bates for the fumble on Taysom Hill as well. The punch out on Taysom was absolutely perfect, but it's been painful to watch Derek Carr's only two pick sixes happen live this year. And the Saints got absolutely gashed in the trenches. Maybe not so much on the offensive side in terms of protecting Derek Carr, but they couldn't handle Bijan Robinson. They couldn't handle Tyler Algier. Over 220 rushing yards allowed on New Orleans. Do we remember that streak of 20, 30 games where New Orleans didn't allow a 100-yard rusher? And then it finally got broke against the Eagles with not only Jalen Hurts, but uh, was it Jordan Howard? I can't remember the running back, but it was both of them ran for over 100 yards on us, and it was a very tough day that day in Philadelphia. That was the first time Jalen Hurts actually diced us up with his legs. Drake London had a day, plenty of big catches. Drake London now in his five matchups against the Saints, if I'm thinking about that stat correctly. He's got at least five catches for 70 yards every time he plays New Orleans. The four Falcons who had rushing attempts yesterday, Bijan Robinson, Desmond Ritter, or not yesterday, um, in the game, Bijan Robinson, Desmond Ritter, Cordero Patterson, and Tyler Algier, all four of them had a rush of 12-plus yards in the game. The Saints just got gashed on the defensive side of the ball. And once it got towards the end of the game, you could tell that every single play was going to be Bijan or Tyler Algier just throwing, or not, not throwing, just running the football down the throat of the Saints, just pounding the rock through that defensive line. And everybody in the stadium knew that was going to happen. And Dennis Allen couldn't stop it. He couldn't stack enough people in the box to just keep someone from getting two, three, four yards on a carry. Dennis Allen going to be the head coach next season and get his win percentage down to 20. I can't believe you would come on my show and say something like that. Carr has no accountability. Loomis also thinks there's no problem. That's where you know it's kind of broken. We're going to talk about Frank Reich later in the show. If your owner, coach, GM, and quarterback, if any of the four of them are not on the same page, or they're not accountable, wow, kind of like with the Saints, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. Mickey thinks we have the right people in the building. That's hilarious. 
I hope he's talking about the players. We do have the right players in the building for sure, and I hope Mickey's talking about the same thing as well because it's it's for damn sure that we don't have the right coaching staff. Miles Sanders, that's who it was. Miles Sanders freaking cut us up, man. That was very, very tough. But this defense stinks now. I mean, Desmond Ritter had his way rushing the football. Tyson Bajan has had his way rushing the football. Josh Jobs has had his way rushing the football. We can't guard running quarterbacks. That's just a fact. I don't know what the adjustment that Dennis Allen can or can't make, but it's called a QB spy. It's called having an extra man to account for the quarterback. And don't tell me that the secondary can't cover because we've been playing lockdown pass defense all year. Again, I understand the last few weeks the defense hasn't been the greatest, but still. It's not a hard adjustment to keep a quarterback contained. And I was nervous about Derek Carr playing in this game as well. It came off of the concussion, the big hit from Daniel Hunter about two and a half, almost three weeks ago now. Of course, he hurt his shoulder in that game. But Derek Carr was horrible in the game after he was hurt with the shoulder in the Tampa Bay game where we lose 29, or excuse me, 27 to 9 to Baker Mayfield in New Orleans. Absolutely disgusting. And it kind of felt the same in this game. He just missed throw after throw, multiple touchdowns, open downfield. Derek Carr is what he is. I believe unless Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael are out of there next year and we get two great offensive or even just two good offensive minds, if they can come in on a seven and a half out of 10 on the scale of just offensive minded greatness, just for, for, for giggles, right? Talking about it there. I believe Derek Carr can enough to win a championship. level. No, that's not a league, but it'll be better than the bottom 10, you know, play that we're seeing out of out of Derek Carr right now but it feels like Derek Carr's already hit his thing with Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael I mean he is what he is and you even got Raiders fans out here telling me this is who Derek Carr is he's going to give you some impressive impressive throws from time to time give you some empty stats he's going to miss some really easy throws some layups he's got the third worst red zone completion percentage in the NFL this year that pick six was actually the first red zone interception he's thrown all year and again it was a horrible throw Jesse Bates read his eyes stepped up and ran just one better in reading another but we have to draft a quarterback early this year there's no if ands or buts about that the New Orleans Saints have to draft a quarterback in the 2024 NFL draft far too much talent to not have the Saints tank somebody and I know they've only done it once in 56 years and it was Archie Manning but the Saints are positioned to where if they wanted to tank, they could absolutely let Atlanta go win the division at this point if you want to, because you need to be thinking for the future and all that backloaded mortgaged in cash that you've got in this salary cap right now. We're going to talk about Derek Carr's contract in a second as well. Make some trades, something, because the Saints have to go secure a quarterback, get the future in the building. And I don't give a damn if Derek Carr is the most expensive backup in the league. That is the realistic approach. But no, Dennis Allen said, blank check for my boy. Let's write it up. Let's do what he wants. And now the Saints are dealing with the disgustingness of Derek Carr. It just amazes me that 10 years into this league and he's still making rookie mistakes. Yeah. Are we crazy or does it seem like Derek Carr gets an injury when we're losing bad? I'm talking about the time he acted like his nuts was hurting. <laughs> You're hilarious. I don't know, man. I just know that Derek Carr is not a guy that plays solid football more times than not. And if you don't have that in this league, you're not going to go far. You're not going to win championships. You're not going to win divisions. You're not going to go to the playoffs. You're not going to win playoff games. I was optimistic for Derek Carr 
I wasn't excited about the 150 million because we gave a 10-year veteran who had hit his head on the ceiling with the with the organization that believed in him and drafted him, and he hit his peak in the MVP year, and he had the best receiver and running back that year. I understand it was on the toolage of jo- under the toolage of Josh McDaniels, which goes to show you it's all about coaching in this league. They moved on from Derek Carr, and Dennis Allen wanted to be comfortable and go get him, and now we're a five and six football team. And Tommy DeVito threw more touchdown passes in November than Derek Carr did. Have y'all heard that stat of the Saints have scored three touchdowns on their last 32 offensive possessions? Two came from the arm of Jameis Winston. One came from the arm of Taysom Hill. That's how long it's been since Derek Carr has thrown a touchdown pass. Let's talk about Derek Carr's contract a little bit before we get a Well, actually, we'll talk about that at the end. Chris Olave had seven for 114. It was actually his first time since week three, disgustingly enough, that he's had over 100 yards before he left in the third quarter with the concussion. I really think that Chris Olave would have went for over 200 on the day. Atlanta really didn't have an answer for him, and um, he was just having a hell of a game. Atlanta could not keep up. Kamara, Hill made good plays too, but there were just no points that came out of it. The Saints finally started trying out new kickers after Blake Groupie gets injured. Shout out to him for hitting the first five kicks, but Of course, he misses the one that we needed the most to make an attempt at a comeback in the fourth quarter. We should have been trying out new kickers as Blake Groupie was not looking very solid coming in. The the Will Lutz and the Blake Gillikin move off was not looking very solid with special teams. And as we see, it's just been a ripple effect for the New Orleans Saints. So we finally start trying out kickers, but we'll see what happens with Blake Groupie. Lynn Bowden had a couple of nice plays with some creativity. Maybe we can utilize these and utilize him, you know, a little more as we do see these injuries piling up. But injuries decimated us in this game. No Marshawn Lattimore, no Michael Thomas, no Kendra Miller before the game. Chris Olave leaves, Rashid Shaheed leaves, Cam and Jamal leave the game. Eric McCoy and Ryan Ramchek get hurt, but then they come back in, and things just piled up so quickly for the New Orleans Saints. But let's talk about Derek Carr's contract a little bit because I found a really well-written article that just straight up gives you a overview of Derek Carr's contract right now. So he signed four-year, $150 million. Next year, his cap hits 35.7. 2025, it's 45.7. 2026, it's 55.7. And then in 2027, it's a $5.7 million year with a void. So the same options, if they release Derek Carr in 2024, it will cost him $17 million, which is about $53 million in cap money. Cost him an additional $17 million, totaling $53 million in dead money. It's about 23.5% of this year's salary cap, so the Saints don't want to do that unless they just really want to implode and be even stupider. Derek Carr has a no-trade clause as well, so there would be no reason for Derek Carr himself, from his perspective, to get out of this situation when he's making his money. Um, he has all the leverage here, really, unfortunately, after the Saints gave it to him. In his contract, so you know, people ask about a post June one release that would actually break even and not cost the Saints any more salary cap resources on June second. The Saints would still be paying thirty five point seven million for having Carr on the books, but they wouldn't add anything to it. The problem is they'd have to keep that thirty five point seven on the books for the start of the following year and after the 24, 20, 2024 draft. Not even including the off season, you'd have to work around that cap to bring players on and ultimately get under it by the league year starting. So you know. The most likely outcome is really try to restructure in the 2024 offseason, save maybe about $23 million on the cap. Um, now, his 2027 money could get up to about $11.5 million if he does play out that four-year deal. But this was designed to be a two-year deal with a team option in 2025. That's when the Saints have an exit ramp to decide whether Carr is worth keeping 
for not only the price, but the trouble of his contract, or if it's better to move on from him. So if we restructured next year and just flat out released him in 2025, it would leave about $33 million behind in dead money, but still save the Saints about $13 million as well. So the Saints are in a position to where like, they're going to have to deal with Derek Carr for at least the rest of this season and next. And as ideal as it would be for Derek Carr to actually leave the New Orleans Saints or be made the backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints after we draft a quarterback, I wish it would happen. But the way the money is structured out, we're only going to be able to exit, you know, off ramp next year. And that's okay, I guess, you know, I, I, I hate to see that because I'm, I'm ready to move on from him now. Put Jamison, put quarterback, something. Derek Carr's not it. I'm probably, I, I'm maybe being too harsh on him because it's not a great setup with Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael, but still Saints fans watching know that this is not what, uh, not, not, not what, not, not what, not what the move is. It seems like people blame groupie for missing that last game because it would have gave the Saints a chance to win, but they were in that red zone five times and couldn't score. Very much agreed, but we also could have had the chance to come back and and maybe win it. Even if he made the kick, the Saints wouldn't be able to score a touchdown to tie it up. Very true. I'll be fine with them being the highest paid backup. He's not doing anything being the starter 100%. No, Derek Carr is not it 1,000%. Yeah, he's Derek Carr is, is not it at all. Saints fans, y'all are all in the comments in the live chat. Appreciate the hell out of y'all. Comment on this clip when posted on YouTube. Let me know what you think about the state of the Saints right now with Derek Carr, knowing that we have to move on from this coaching staff and go get a rookie quarterback so we can start building the future. The Eagles beat the Bills in an overtime shootout at home. The Eagles show that they can win multiple ways in this league, and I feel like this was a statement win of the year for the Philadelphia Eagles because they can win those boring games in the trenches, running the football, lulling you away, and then Jalen Hurts and a lot of other guys can come out and make really big plays. But Josh Allen played his ass off in this game. Four total touchdowns, 418 total yards, and he really did everything in this game to win it for the Buffalo Bills. I feel bad that Josh Allen actually wasn't able to pull out the win. But Jalen Hurts comes back around, five total touchdowns, 265 total yards, game-winning touchdown run in overtime without Lane Johnson. And this is after Jalen Hurts started the first half, four for 11 for 32 yards and two turnovers. Talk about putting your back up against the wall with the Philadelphia Eagles and coming out in your hometown in this weather to beat the Buffalo Bills. It's just remarkable. I mean, it really is. It's it's absolutely remarkable what Jalen Hurts does. And the respect gets poured onto him more and more every week from the outsiders. And I'm like, hey, I've been telling y'all since Alabama, bro. Y'all wanted to try to talk about him, talk about him rudely when he went to Oklahoma. And I'm like, you you just forget that Joe Burrow happened. Jalen Hurts was there in competition for the Heisman. The interception that Jalen Hurts threw in this game, though, it was a tip ball. I'm not really going to knock him forward, and I'm, I'm not going to knock him forward at all, actually. It looked like he had a couple of plays on that right sideline, and and the defender definitely got a hand on it, no question. But overcoming a 17-7 halftime deficit two weeks in a row to go on a 30-17 to run to win this football game is not a lot of th- there is not a thing that a lot of a lot of NFL teams can do, especially not at this point in the season. The block kick was a big factor. Shout out Jordan Jordan Davis, but that did come after that controversial no call on the horribly not called horse collar on Josh Allen. That led to no points. It should have been called. It probably would have got them closer. Maybe had them drive for a field goal or kick a closer field goal. 
The no call on the horse caller, getting the intentional grounding called instead was just horrendous NFL referees at its finest. Jalen uh, Hurts had a second and one scramble at the end of the second half that I thought was a really nice play. It really, um, re- I mean, just, just a really nice play at, at that point in the game, and he was able to extend the drive there. We did see the miscommunication between the running back and Jalen Hurts. I don't remember who that was on the handoff, but he fumbled it. Uh, Buffalo takes over. They do a great job. They scored a touchdown there, and Josh Allen was impeccable on that drive too. But it feels like it was Buffalo's game. You know, they were up 17-7. to They had just scored the touchdown off the turnover at the end of the first half. Philadelphia had the ball for a minute and a half to start the third quarter before a horrendous third and 14 screen pass, um, you know, to Julio Jones, and, and, and that was snuffed out. I mean, the Philadelphia boos were raining down at Lincoln Financial Field. And another missed kick from Tyler Bass in the beginning of the third. They had a chance to go up to 20-7. to So as much as I want to say I feel bad for Buffalo not winning this game, they didn't put it away in times that they really needed to. Philly adjusted well to score on the second possession of the third quarter. It was an easy touchdown. And after that, Philadelphia was just creeping back into the football game. And then, you know, after the Josh Allen interception that I'm going to bring up soon, they were right back in it. But speaking of Josh Allen, his second rushing touchdown was just so fearless, beautiful pump fake combined with sidestepping the defender. It just really showed us that Josh Allen is like that. And, and he can play big time football in big time moments, but still, unfortunately, he's going to show you some turnovers. And it makes me think if Buffalo didn't miss those two field goals, one of which was blocked, Buffalo could have went up 30 to 14 in this game. But instead, they were hanging on 20 to 7, and then Philadelphia comes around and does what they do best. Jalen Hurts, the third and fourth scramble at the beginning of the fourth quarter was just such a heads up play. Vintage Jalen Hurts throws a dot to Devontae Smith for the touchdown. And I was watching this game at Hudson Grill in Atlanta um, with some of the crew that went to the Saints Falcons game with me. And um, I was like, Josh Allen's due for a turnover. I was like, I hate to say it, but Josh Allen always turns the ball over in big moments. I was like, wait for it. Here it comes. And Josh Allen's turnover was literally incoming, throws the interception to, to, to Bradbury, and the Eagles go on and and score as well. You have Jalen Hurts' third touchdown pass to Olamide Zacchaeus on the following drive. You hear the crowd go crazy. And it was just like that, a 21-7 to run to take the lead. Philadelphia's like that. Jalen Hurts is like that. The Eagles know how to play very well in this league, and they should be Super Bowl favorites. They are my Super Bowl champions right now, the Philadelphia Eagles. And I can't wait until that boy Jalen Hurts wins his ring. I can't wait. The only sack from the Eagles in this game was clutch uh, from Brandon Graham late in the game. So he came out really clutch with that. Of course, a a great veteran over there for Philadelphia. But Buffalo really seemed like they were going to win, you know, with the final drive of regulation, three straight runs of 10 yards before the easy touchdown to Gabe Davis. Jake Elliott puts the team on his back with the 60-yard kick to go to overtime. Now, the Eagles did get a bad call against them in overtime, which is kind of where I feel like it washes out that no-horse caller call on Josh Allen. Uh, they had the roughing the passer, which was was very, very soft. Now, I don't know if Gabe Davis and Josh Allen weren't on the same page on that must- missed touchdown in overtime, but that one definitely hurt them. I know that the Bills fans were very upset about how that played out because, I mean, that could have went for the win right there. You're talking about being 7-5, and five, but now they're 6-6, six and six, and they're in the 10th seed as the – Eagles are 10 and one and just absolutely owning the NFL right now. Gabe Davis had the defender beat too. you, you know, get you get a call going your way with a rough in the passer and you still can't capitalize on it late in the game when it matters. Philly was three for 10 on third down in this game too. They had nine yards to go on average before winning this football game. And the, and the bills did they were what they were supposed to do with the first half turnovers from, from Philadelphia, you know, um, 
yeah, cars truly the emperor, emperor of empty yards. Hell yeah. Look at Trav and Darby going back and forth. I appreciate the heck out of y'all, man. The empty, yeah, Matt Moscona. Scona's that dude, no doubt. But the Bills did what they were supposed to do. Two Philly turnovers, they turned that into 14 points. And, you know, again, Philadelphia is just by far the best team in the league right now. I love how they're playing at this point in the season. Of course, they need to fix their secondary and, and the, as the regular season finishes out. I really think Shaq Leonard could sign with the Eagles and really give them that linebacker depth and that secondary coverage that they need. I, I understand that Shaq was dealing with a couple of back injuries last year, and that is why the Colts moved on from him. And, and I do hate that because I think he, he really deserves to be with an NFL team. Um, but if Philly picks him up, that that's just going to be scary, no doubt. And, and everyone in the league will just continue to respect Philadelphia as they get closer and closer to that Super Bowl championship. And the fact that this team went from the easiest to the toughest schedule in the league and in back-to-back seasons, they're 10-1, and one, it's remarkable. It's not a fluke. Jalen Hurts is him. Nick Sirianni is a top-five coach in this league. The Eagles are the most balanced team in the NFL. And once they clean that secondary up, it's already good enough to win. They've only lost one game, and it was by six to the Jets. Jalen Hurts threw some interceptions because that Jets defense, whenever it decides to, can come alive. Y'all, y'all just wait. Y'all just wait for the Eagles to make their run again as they will go to the Super Bowl in back-to-back years, and they will finally win one. Jalen Hurts will be that Super Bowl MVP, and I, I can't wait. I'm pivoting now to the Philadelphia Eagles as the team that I'm rooting for for the rest of the year. Saints, I'm sorry. Y'all are five and six. We'll have to sort something out in the offseason, but all of my efforts will now go towards the Philadelphia Eagles. But the Eagles have, you know, the Niners, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks are coming up in their next three. The ringers of these past five games outside of Washington has really been impressive. We've seen them beat the Chiefs. We've seen them beat the Bills. We've seen them beat the Dolphins. We seem to beat the Cowboys. They have the Niners coming up next. The Cowboys are coming after that. The Seahawks as well. I think Philly's fine. And then they have Card- uh, They have Giants, Cardinals, Giants to end the year. And they're about to wipe the Giants both times. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen Hurts didn't have to play in Week 18. I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen Hurts didn't have to play in Week 18 because they're just that far and away in the division to where they've already secured it. And it's against the New York Giants, so they're not going to freak out about that. Frank Reich was fired by the Carolina Panthers after going 1-10 in his first year with Bryce Young. Very, very unfortunate. Hindsight on it, it looked like it wasn't going to work out for Frank Reich. Again, he goes 1-10 with the number one overall pick in Bryce Young after they traded the house to go get him. It's the second time in the last two head coaching jobs that Frank Reich has been fired. He's the first coach since 1970 to have it happen in back-to-back coaching tenures and we heard the reports when Frank Reich came out or when Frank Reich was going for Bryce Young or uh, uh, when Frank Reich wanted CJ Stroud and the owner David Tepper wanted Bryce Young when those when, when those types of things happen it's going to cause discourse because if your owner GM head coach and quarterback are not on the same page it's going to be really hard to have sustainable success in this league and to go on and win a championship. And it just goes to show you that Bryce Young should not have been the number one overall pick. Now, do I believe CJ Stroud would be looking a lot better than Bryce Young? I'm not going to go that far to say that because who's Bryce Young throwing to? I mean, Adam, Adam Thielen and Hayden Hurst, who feels like they've just fallen off the face of the earth. You know, CMC's gotten out of there in the last couple of years. DJ Moore got out of there. 
And CJ's doing so well with the Texans because they have guys on the defensive side of the ball to help him out. And they also have weapons in a Tank Dell and a John Mechie and a Robert Woods and a Dalton Schultz and a Damian Pierce. D'Amico Ryans and that staff have done an excellent job at setting CJ Stroud up for success. And D'Amico Ryans is a defensive-minded head coach. Frank Reich's supposed to be that guy that comes in and makes things happen. We see it, though. This is the second year in a row that David Tepper has fired his head coach mid-season. All of the people are, you know, all the reports are talking about how he's a very, very impatient owner. Matt Rule got fired last year after starting one and four. By the end of this season, David Tepper will have had an interim coach for nearly a quarter of the games as him being owner since 2018. And I actually looked into David Tepper a little bit. He's a professional hedge fund manager. He owns a very, very large company. He's worth like $21 billion. He bought the Panthers back in 2018 for, I think, about $3.75 billion, a little over $3 billion, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a businessman. He, 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 he gets down and he jives with money, right? Um, oops, connection is lost. Reconnecting. Oh, no. Oh, no, I hope we're good. Y'all get in the chat. Let me know how the connection is, please. I um, I really hope that we still have our connection up. on the Are we back? I think we're back. It said I was losing connection, then it looked like it's popped us back in. If y'all are in the chat, comment. Let me know how the connection looks. I'm getting on YouTube real quick to see how the show's playing out. I'm a Nazi about just how things play out with the show and everything. 711 subs. Oof. Hi. Okay. Cool. Okay, whatever. Just making sure we were good. Thanks, Darby. Appreciate you. Thanks for the two subs that have also jumped in. We're now at 711. That's probably what happens when I'm not paying attention. The connection loses and then just bounces back. That's the first time I've ever looked at it, though. Darby and Trav, appreciate you guys for letting me know that we're good. But David Tepper, he's a businessman. He owns a major hedge fund worth $21 billion. And a, a former Panther staffer said this about him. His thing is, the minute it gets bad, it's going to get worse, so we better try something else. He's a hedge fund guy. That's what hedge fund guys do. The second something stops earning money, they make their money out of it. They take their money out of it, take the profit, and move on to something else. He doesn't care about the money. He looks at it like a stock. You make a poor investment, there's a sunk cost, boom, you move on. And that just has really summed up what it's been for David Tepper and the Panthers ever since he's taken over. And the recipe for success in the NFL is a good owner, GM, coach, and quarterback. If those guys are not on the same page, it's going to be a hard recipe uh, for success, especially with that team. So when Frank Reich was first hired, I, I can't say I saw this coming because, you know, I thought he would have been better than this. I think everybody thought it was going to be better than this. But he was brought in for his offensive mind. Of course, he was the OC for the Eagles the year that they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. The Panthers' offense did not work well, though. We saw that. They were 30th in the NFL in total offense and pass yards per game. They were the fourth worst points per game in the NFL, not even putting up 16 points per game. He had a 40-33-1 record and took the Colts to the playoffs twice, but we saw the culture and the team erode you know, in his last two seasons in Indy. We saw the quarterback instability after Andrew Luck retired between you know, Carson Wentz, uh, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger. 
And, um, you know, they pissed away the playoffs in one of those years, too, when they had a 98% chance to go to the playoffs with two games remaining. They pissed down their leg, and they go and lose 26-11 to to the 2-14 and Jacksonville Jaguars at the time. But, you know, hindsight, guy didn't even take a year off from the game before jumping right back into the dumpster fire. That was Carolina. David Tepper has bought this team in 2018, and they are 30-63 and in that time frame. The only worst team is the New York Jets. Frank Wright was fired after the offense produced 15 or fewer points for the fifth straight week and the seventh time in 11 games. The offense only produced 10 points in each of the past two games after Wright reclaimed the play calling duties from his OC only three games after he turned them over to the guy or not his OC, but Brown. And then he, when he, uh, he, he went and got them back shortly after he turned it over. So there was just a lot of indecision, a lot of inconsistency with Frank Reich. And, you know, I feel bad for Frank Reich because he didn't land in a great situation, but he also signed his name on that dotted line to, you know, be that head coach. You know, he signed his name on that dotted line to be that head coach for the Carolina Panthers. So, you know, this is what he was, was going to have to, was going to have to put up with, but Bryce Young's rookie uh, season, his career has been rough already. It has started rough. The head coach and the quarterback coach being fired mid season, in his rookie year, not looking like the number one overall pick, having no talent around him, having one of the worst rosters in the NFL, having the most impatient owner in the NFL. Carolina is now technically on their fifth head coach since Ron Rivera was fired in 2019. Two of those coaches, coaches being interims. Uh, we have the interim coach now, and then, of course, Steve Wilt, who was the interim coach last year after uh, Matt Rule was fired. So it's just been a tough stretch for the Panthers. It it really has. And I didn't realize that Carolina was that bad under David Tepper's ownership, but they have been pretty lost since the Super Bowl. I mean, I mean, they really have, you know, they went to the Super Bowl the year before Atlanta did and really Carolina and Atlanta have been trying to find their legs ever since, ever since that time. And Frank Reich said that, you know, he thought he would hang it up in the NFL. He thought that was going to be the end of his NFL career. Um, I hope it's not. I don't think it will be because Frank Reich is a very respected guy in this league and he is a really good offensive mind. Um, again, we saw him, you know, get double digit wins, 10 and 11 wins with the Colts in a couple of years, AFC wildcard game, AFC divisional game. He had his franchise quarterback abruptly retire so much to the point where the fan base was asking for their season ticket money back. I mean, that was brutal. That's how much Andrew Luck meant to them. So I don't want to, you know, drag him for the quarterback instability, but the NFL is a, what have you done for me lately league and two straight years after being fired, um, you know, mid season as a coach. It's tough. It's very tough. But I think Brent Reich could get another job in this league. uh, He might take some time, maybe take a year off, maybe two years off. Just, just get your head straight. Yeah, Packers loss still pisses me off, too. We barely beat the Panthers. Yeah, bro. That's how bad the Saints are. The Saints have a 5-6 and six record, but they damn sure play like a 2-4 to four win football team. <laughs> and that hurts to say, bro, as I've got these two jerseys to, uh, I mean, y'all's right, my left. But, yeah, it's it's tough, guys. I appreciate the Houdat Nation getting all in the chat as well. I'm worried about Bryce Young's career, though. I really am because – starting out this way in a really bad franchise after what Bryce Young did at Alabama is tough. And, you know, again, I didn't think Bryce Young was the number one overall pick 
I didn't think Bryce Young was the best player in the draft. I didn't think Bryce Young was the best quarterback in the draft. C.J. Stroud was my QB one coming in, especially with the bigger size. Just thought he was a lot better player, more accurate. I understand being in Alabama can jade a lot of people, and we haven't seen an Ohio State quarterback play like this really ever, especially in recent memory. So, you know, you take the yin with the yang, but definitely a lesson learned as C.J. Stroud should have been that number one pick. That's who uh, Frank Wright wanted. Uh, we even hear now that Josh McDaniels did not sign off on a trade for the Raiders to move up and get C.J. Stroud. I bet you C.J. Stroud is happy as hell that he did not go to the Las Vegas Raiders. <clears throat> well, let's get into these Week 13 NFL picks as I pick every game here, of course, on the NFL with AJL. And uh, I did pick the Cowboys to beat the Seahawks last night, so that's going to give me a W. I went 13-3 and in Week 12. I'm 119-60 and on the year with a 66% hit percentage on my games that I've picked. I would have taken the Cowboys over the Seahawks yesterday. They end up winning in a big game, 41 to 35. I'll take the Colts over the Titans as well. Steichen has this team at six and five, despite everything we know about the Anthony Richardson injury. We know about the Jonathan Taylor beef. He does resign. And the fact that the Colts are six and five, considering what's happening on that team, the quarterback room, just they're they're still working through a rebuild right now, but they have a very, very bright future ahead of them. I think Shane Steichen could very well be a coach of the year candidate. I know it might not sound like it, but the Colts are playing with house money. Even without Anthony Richardson, they were already looking exquisite before that. And it's just going to be a lot more fun as time goes on. I'm taking the Falcons over the Jets. I just genuinely think the Falcons are a better team. Now the Jets defense could show up and stifle Desmond Ritter and, you know, take Drake Lungan out of the game and, and really stop Bijan Robinson. Um, but I think the Falcons are probably feeling themselves after this game against the Saints, which, you know, it's not too much to really take away because the Saints are the Saints. The defense has been reeling. We don't have competent coaching. So, you know, one of the worst coaches in the NFL outcoached Dennis Allen. So what does that make Dennis Allen? Also one of the worst coaches in the NFL. But I think the Falcons will beat the Jets here. Uh, could be a close game. Jets are at home, but give me Atlanta. Regretfully, I will take the Lions over the Saints. I think the Lions are going to beat the hell out of us this weekend. <laughs> they lost on Thanksgiving uh, and it, it it was just tough. It was tough to watch the Lions lose like that. It was tough to watch the Saints lose like that to the Falcons. And now the Lions are seething. They are literally foaming at the mouth. And I think they are going to win to the tune of maybe 28 to 14, 28 to 10, something like that. I, I, I really think the Saints are, are going to get beat this week. And I was almost going to go to that game this year. That game is in New Orleans. So, uh, you know, it, 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 at least the Saints get to play it at home in Louisiana. But um, I, I think it's going to be a a very, very tough game for Saints fans to watch. And, um, yeah, we'll just <laughs> – we'll have to see how it plays out. The Lions lost to the Packers. I knew it was the Bears. The Lions lost to the Packers on Thanksgiving, and it was actually a uh, a walloping, to say the least. Lions by 40. Dan, bro, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I, and, look, like I said, man, the Saints are going to be the Saints. are going to go and win this damn football game and piss us off all over again. Another great game, maybe game of the week. I'm going to take the Broncos over the Texans. There's a lot, a lot of Texan key players on the injury report, but they should be good to go. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Russell Wilson, D'Amico Ryans, Sean Payton are going to be facing off. Um, C.J. Stroud's actually on the injury report. There's also, you know, Jimmy Ward. Um, you know, Noah Brown was on there. Dalton Schultz was on there, but I think everyone's going to be good to go. You know, they hadn't even put out Friday injury reports yet as I was getting ready for the show that only the Thursday reports were out. The Texans could sneak and win this game. I really do believe so, but I think Sean Payton is now in his element with the Broncos. 
Um, let me pull this back up. I, I want to say that, let's say, the Texans are at home, right? Yeah, Texans are at home. So the Texans could have that home field advantage. They could very well go in and win. Um, or, you know, they yeah, they could very well host a game and win. And, and I think they have a good chance to, but I think Sean Payton will be able to form a good game plan for the Broncos. Russell Wilson is back playing at that top level. I'm not going to say that MVP level because we know it looks different, but I'll take the Broncos here in a close one. This might be a pick that I regret. Uh, regret excuse me. Chargers over the Patriots, very simple pick there. Now, this could be a game where the Chargers charger it up and they let the Patriots with one of the worst rosters and one of the worst offensive, you know, um, one of the worst offenses in the league, you know, possibly stifle them and, and, and get a W. And that would just be even worse for the Chargers, right? Would the Chargers have to lose to the freaking New England Patriots in order for Brandon Staley to get fired? Because we've already seen a couple of games this year where he should have been fired. Defensive-minded coach, most expensive roster, bottom five defense. The facts are the facts. I'll take the Patriots to lose this game. Chargers should win. But something sneaky tells me that it's going to be closer than it should be. And if the Patriots escape with a win, heads are going to roll in L.A. But again, give me the Chargers. I'll take the Steelers over the Cardinals. The Steelers last week played a great game against the Bengals. Uh, well, in terms of yards, yards aren't always the greatest way to measure a team's efficiency or how good they actually are. Because like, what's your third down percentage? What's your red zone percentage? Your touchdown percentage? How many points per game are you actually putting up? Uh, first time. In 40 games, they put up over 400 yards. They didn't do it at all with Matt Canada. They do it in this game. They do only score 16 points, but they get the win. The Cardinals, I think this could be a sneaky game as well. Kyler Murray's not playing fantastic. Two touchdowns, two picks. We know he's coming off that ACL injury, though. The Steelers are a smash-mouth defense that I think could really, really give this uh, Cardinals team issues, which is why I'm going to take the Steelers. But if Kyler Murray comes out, and decides to try to make it a game because we know how talented he is. We can see another great game here as well. I'm going to take the Dolphins over the Commanders. Uh, this could be a lot like when the Eagles have played the Commanders twice this year. I really believe that because we saw the Eagles beat the Commanders 34-31, to 31, and then we watched them again two weeks later beat them 38-31 to 31 or vice versa, one of one of the two. And Eric Bieniemy's got Sam Howell clicking. Eric Bieniemy's got that offense clicking. We know what the Dolphins are with all of their weapons, Mike McDaniel, too, and company. Um, and I do think this could be a potential offensive shootout as well. Both of these teams aren't necessarily great on the defensive side of the ball. We see Washington ship out a couple of key players earlier before the trade deadline. The Dolphins are trying to improve their defense as well. I even said that, you know, shit, ooh, shit. I even said that Shaq Leonard could go play for the Dolphins also because they definitely need some defensive help, but I'll take the Dolphins over the Commanders. I'll take the Bucks over the Panthers. Both teams are pretty banged up here, but post-Frank post Reich era uh, could definitely possibly yield a win um, as soon as possible. You know, we see, I actually forgot to mention this earlier, 2021 Urban Meyer gets fired. Jags are great next or good next year with uh, Doug Peterson. 2022 Nathaniel Hackett gets fired. Broncos are looking solid this year with Sean Payton. 2023. Josh McDaniels and Frank Reich get fired. So what's the future of the Panthers and the the Raiders going to possibly be? And I think this could be a thing here where, you know, with the Panthers fresh game, fresh off of the, um, you know, firing of Frank Reich, no quarterback coach, no assistant head coach, and Deuce Staley, who was doing horrible with the run game. Maybe they could come in and get a W here. And like I said, both teams are pretty banged up. But despite all that, I'm going to take the Bucks because I believe they are the better football team. Maybe not by much, but I do believe they are. 
a sound football team over the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to take the Eagles over the 49ers and maybe back-to-back weeks for game of the year for the Eagles. They just played the Bills. Now they're about to play the Niners. This is going to be the most watched matchup of the weekend. Definitely will be game of the weekend, no question. The 49ers could very well win this game. Um, Part of me kind of expects the Niners to win, but I still believe that the Eagles are the best team in the league. Um, The Niners did have that three-game losing streak, which, yes, was while they were hurt, and it might not mean a lot to a lot of people. But if the Bills game wasn't possibly a statement win in horrible weather with the way that uh, Jalen Hurts overcame adversity from halftime to winning it in overtime, this could possibly be the statement win here for the Eagles. Again, I already think last week was with the Bills, but Eagles Eagles and Niners is going to be a great one. Shanahan and Sirianni, Hurts and Purdy, two of the most loaded rosters, the two best teams in the NFC. Of course, the Lions would come in behind that as well. I'll take the Browns over the Rams. Another fringe pick where I felt like I was going to go back and pick the Rams. Something even told me to do it while I was making the picks here for the show. But I do believe that the uh, Browns will win this football game. They are sitting at that seven and four record. Rams are at five and six. Now, you know, Sean McVay could do his thing and push up and beat the Browns. But the Browns defense, I think, is just absolutely insane. It's it's by far one of the best in the league. And the Rams aren't working with a lot of offensive talent. Now, they do absolutely demolish the Cardinals, which is a reason that the Steelers could too. But everyone was back very healthy. Of course, Kyron Williams came in and, and was doing his thing. I'll take the Chiefs over the Packers. The Packers have been trying to get sneaky competitive this year, beating the Lions, playing close games to other teams. Um, and just overall, you know, kind of turning it around. I'm not saying that Jordan Love is him, but have you seen the first 11 uh, the, the the first 11 games or the first 12 game stats for Jordan Love versus Aaron Rodgers? It's it's pretty scary how close it is. I think the Chiefs will win this one though. They're by far and away the better team, better quarterback, better coach. Not too much to discuss here. And I'll take the Jags over the Bengals as well. Uh, Bengals clearly ransacked after Joe Burrow's injury. The Jags are on a roll. The Jags are one of the best teams in the league. They're one of the best teams in the AFC. And I think uh, this could be one that possibly gets out of hand quick. That was episode 56 of the NFL with AJL right at a 50-minute show for y'all. Hope y'all enjoyed the show. Stay tapped into the four topics that we had tonight. Before we get out of here, y'all make sure to hit this QR code, scan it with your phone, or check us out at the NFL with AJL, hashtag the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms. If you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough. We hit 711 subs on the YouTube live, on all the lives. Uh, well, on YouTube tonight, but while we were live on episode 56, two more subs came in for us. We broke 700. Let's push up to 800 subs. Y'all make sure to drop, I always forget this, make sure to drop a super chat or a super thanks if you want to donate directly to the show. No donation is too big or too small. Anything that you would give to the show to support would definitely be appreciated. Make sure to like and share the stream before you get out of here. Hit the bell so you never miss a post on YouTube. We'll be back on Tuesday as December has officially kicked off on us. I'm probably going to be talking Georgia and Alabama SEC title game. I'm about to watch every snap of Oregon and Washington in this Pac-12 championship game as well. As always, I love you, I need you, and I'll see you in episode 57.